road leads? Then hear this, all ye people. Give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both high and low, rich and poor together. Do you indeed speak righteousness? Do you judge uprightly, all ye sons and daughters of men? And do you judge as others judge? For as you judge, you shall be judged. And if you condemn, you are condemned. Pass on. But there is no return. Hey guys, before we get into this week's show, we want to remind you we're always looking for new guests. If you think you'd be a good fit or know someone, hit us up at info at professionconfession.com. Likewise, we want to do a new thing where you can send us your own confessions. Maybe you don't think you have enough for a whole episode, but you have a good story or something like that you want us to read on the air. That would be really fun. You can hit us at that same website, or we have a form on our website that you can come on. You can fill it out. We'll keep it anonymous. Same thing for our guests. You know, protecting your anonymity is the whole thing. So uh, spread the word, and thanks for listening. Hey, guys, this is Gabe for our newest sponsor, and this one I'm very fond of because I came up with it. This has been a passion project of mine. Yep, it's an energy drink. Sure, there's a lot of energy drinks out there that taste great, but there's one problem. What is in them? Nobody knows. They're not good for you. Well, that's not a problem with my new energy drink because I make it right in my own garage, and you can come over and help. We are 100% transparent about our process. This is how it works. We have an elevated, graded steel platform that you just come over and walk your animal right on top of. Pull the lever and say goodbye and watch a 2,000 pounds of hydraulic pressure come down and humanely eliminate that animal and unleash proteins, vitamins, minerals, all that good stuff that you need to get through your day. Where does it go? It drops into a series of gutters beneath that you get to watch run down and end in a one-gallon mason jar. We fill it to the top. I call it dog juice. Dog juice. Man's best friend. Man's best energy drink. Get over here, you mutt guzzlers. This is totally unfiltered, 100% organic, cage-free, and the most humane way, really, to end their life. Dog juice. It's the most loyal energy drink on the market and the only energy drink that has all that good stuff for you to have the energy of a Labrador to take on your day. Come down and get a glass today. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening to Profession Confession. This week's episode, the guest is me. Um, The biggest thing I get asked in doing our show is why I want to talk to these people, and how I find them. And I think this episode answers both those questions. As many of our listeners know, I was a pretty heavy heroin addict in Los Angeles for a while, and this episode is going to tell about that period, because that period is what introduced me to, you know, the underground or the underbelly of society, and I met a lot of really interesting people, even when they were really bad people. I felt like I had really great conversations, and I always found those types of people to be very honest and have great stories. And I just thought it would be good subject for a podcast. And here we are, and we've been really successful with a lot of listeners, and I want to thank everyone so much for sharing and spreading the word on our podcast. Even though we're doing great, you just can't get enough, and... Um, Please keep it going. It means so much to me. So I want to thank everyone for that. Tevin does too. And 
This week's episode, the host I brought in to interview me was Brian Miller. And Brian Miller is, uh, he's been on the Craig Ferguson show, very funny stand-up comedian and writer. And it was more for the writing. He's a journalist, so I thought he's going to ask all the who, what's, where's, when, and why's and not let me off the hook. So I tried to be as totally honest as possible, which brings me to my parents. Uh, Mom and Dad, if you are listening, please, please do not listen any further. Same goes for my mother-in-law, Connie, and for God's sakes, not father-in-law, Steve. Do not listen to this podcast or anyone who knows me as a nice person. Please do not listen to this. And uh, everyone else, enjoy the episode. Um, Don't do heroin. All right. Enjoy. This is a different episode. Um, It's going to be focused on me. We have a... Oh, the reason is, is because I used to be a drug addict. And that's kind of the genesis of this show, is that I used to run... Running the alley, I used to fly with the eagles and slither with the snakes, in the words of Macho Man Randy Savage. And um, I used to talk to, you know, pimps, thieves, drug dealers, all this stuff. And I, you know, they were all sort of scummy in one way, but they were also really interesting and funny. And and I found people who were kind of at these levels were extremely extremely interested and I used to when I'd buy drugs from someone I'd talk to them for an hour I just really was interested in how they got to where they were and I hate when I hear people really like just dismiss people like that because you when you talk to them there is more of a story and and sometimes not and they are shitty so um, I just thought it'd be a fun thing for a show and we realize that people don't know my frame of reference or where I'm coming from and we thought it would be an interesting show, hopefully. So I got the most, whatever, like the most equipped to do this well. We have a super, super funny comedian and radio and podcast personality, Brian Miller here. Ooh, I'm a personality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the one that you invented Marginal? is really good. Marginal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one I fabricated. Yeah. The, <laughs> you know, the mask, the, the social mask. Yeah. It's yeah. Good. It's good. No, Brian is one of my, like, whatever the comics that I started with and truly one of my personal favorites. If you want to see any of his stuff and you goddamn sure should. Brian, where should people look for you first? Oh, uh, my website, brianmillercomedy.com, uh, or my YouTube channel, Brian Miller Comedy. And uh, my Twitter is at realbrianmiller. It's all spelled with a Y. Yeah. Brian's just uh, – so he was a journalist, and so he understands how to frame a story and all that stuff. So we thought he'd just be really good to do this. So at this point, I'm going to turn it over to Brian, and uh, yeah. Well, yeah, well plus, I thought this would be great because I, I know a lot about – I know some about this, but I've never really sat down with you and had like a long – like there's a lot of gaps. Right. So I'm sure. really interested to fill these gaps. For sure. So before we get into the – before we get quite to the heroin part, though, just, just so we kind of start with the frame of reference. So like – What's your kind of early childhood bio? What's just the, the kind of capsule young Gabe Noah? For sure. So, the, and the, it's a big reason why I became a drug addict. I, right. I so there's got to be something. I here. was, and so, same thing with comedy. I always hear that you have to have some super tragic childhood or, or something. I don't have, I had an ideal childhood. I had great parents, never fought in front of me. My, my, uh, my dad started his own furniture business when he was like 25 years old, which now you just can't even imagine going oh, in and getting a loan, you know, and 
left home at 17 because his family is so dysfunctional, started his own business, like coached Little League, coached my hockey team, all that kind of stuff. And yet when I was young, um, I knew I wanted to be a comic from like seven years old. Like I, I just – it was always in my brain in that way. And so I always wanted to be funny. And then there was a certain point whether it's, you know, even like the – mid-80s SNL movies and stuff, mm-hmm. the main character would maybe eh, glorify being the uh, slob, let's say, like uh, Bill Murray in Stripes. Sure. Belushi You're, before that was Belushi. Sort of, yeah. yeah, yeah. All, that all stuff. the 80s stuff was slobs versus snobs. Yes. It was, there was no one was good if you like had a too nice of a collar on your jacket. You were the evil ski team captain who was trying to keep John Cusack from getting laid. The cool guy was never wearing a pink polo. No. Or anything like Quite that. Quite the opposite. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Blonde hair. And um, so I think that starts where you kind of, you know, and I don't want to blame this all on your influences, but whatever. It does influence you. Yeah. And you're kind of attracted to the underdog, to the down, you know, the guy mm-hmm. who maybe drinks a little too much, all that stuff. God, 80s were great for party movies. <laughs> How many movies now is a getting drunk a big part of it? Like, you know, where it's like a... Where they play Louie Louie on the screen and everyone's having House fun. party. Bachelor party. Yes. There's movies that was just like, we're going to a party. I'd like to see a study on how many movies say party in the title. Yeah, and hilarious, <laughs> casual, now. super casual cocaine right. use. Cocaine is a gag. Right. Now now uh, it would be like, a, hey, let's have a sensitivity party. <laughs> <laughs> Where we all like find that we're all equals in some way and whatever. So anyway, um, and then of course... So there's always this comedy thing. Always want to be stand up. I was practicing trying to be funny and you know, I How's that going? I, Is it working? It's not, it's a slog. I didn't know it'd be this much of a slog. I um I won funniest um or best sense of humor. Class clown, whatever it is, in seventh grade. <laughs> and this is in Detroit Lakes, Minnesota. Yes, yeah, right? Detroit Lakes, Minnesota, big deal. But the ultimate thing to answer your question is that I was a good kid from a small town and I admired Sort of increasingly darker and darker things. So you, but as a kid, you were straight, pretty straight and narrow. Absolutely, no tragedy, no molestation. But you, no, you would you get good grades? I got good grades. You I did would your homework. Say, <laughs> yep. Well, no, no, I never really did that. I was one. I was naturally intelligent. Got sure. good grades without trying. I was. I will say, and I even lose track of this now. I was very small. I was very small. Really. And scrawny, and. I had a stutter when I was young. I forget I about that. That's right. Profound. I had a machine gun stutter, like, eh, 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 like mm-hmm. really strong. So much to where my brother started to stutter, my little brother. They took him into the speech therapist, and they had both of us there. Mm-hmm. And they pointed to me and said, he's got a stutter. And they pointed to him and said, he's just copying his brother. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how bad just my stutter to be cool, was. Cool, like his older brother Gabe. <laughs> That's how, much, how fucking yeah influential I was. <laughs> and um, and as I got older and got into literature a lot, like I loved the beats. It all started. I with literally have the Bukowski beats. here circled three times. Uh, I mean, Henry Miller and Bukowski were everything. And what age do you get into those? Mm-hmm. Seventeen, eighteen. Okay, tail end of high school. Yep. And Would you say? Not to cut you mm-hmm. off. Would no, you please. say that some of this literature kind of made you romanticize 
debauchery and oh, or poverty? Brother. <laughs> oh, brother. I mean, to you, is this like I live this super comfortable, super pleasant, and I, and I just there's this whole fascinating world that I've just romanticized into being the real thing. You couldn't be more on the nose. It it's especially looking back, it's like embarrassingly. I I, I remember getting a book. Uh, for Christmas. So every Christmas, all I'd ask for is a big old book list from my parents. Because you'd get some like, you know, some hardcover, not like not even first edition, just whatever. There's books no, that are $20 both, or We're both like kind of, we're both literature guys and yes. unashamed to say it. Of we're course. masculine, but we like our books. Yeah, we're, you know, we're Hemingway, baby, sort of, Hemingway. Hemingway, kind of like Bukowski on steroids kind of guys like us. <laughs> and uh, we, so I remember I got the book. Uh, William S. Burroughs, Gentleman Junkie. And it was like a very photographic bio thing. And there's a picture of him sucking his own big toe on the back cover. It was really disgusting, actually. But anyway, my mom, I remember she gave it to me and said, now, you know that some of this stuff is wrong, right? Or something like, like she said something like, it was very close to what I just said. Where And I was like, yeah, mom, just, I just read it. I just like it. Whereas... Because the whole book list was like drug books. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. people who are well, drug addicted. The, the beat famously. books and stuff. I remember, it's funny. My, my own mother at one time, uh, when I was, she she came out with me and she'd, she'd gone on the internet. She'd gone to Proto Google, Web Crawler or whatever. She's like, mm-hmm. these books that you're reading, you know all these people died young. They're all on drugs. She was just like totally convinced that I was just steering into the bum line. I mean, died young. The Doors movie with Val Kilmer, mm-hmm. like I was in seventh grade or something like that. That. I mean, I thought I just everything with that darkness and young death and poverty and but I always wanted to be artistic and talented, whatever. But you know, I don't need my father's furniture store. <laughs> right? <laughs> don't you? Do you think too that there's an element of that, like kind of Hemingway esque, where it's like I want to be an artist, I want to be artistic, but I don't want to be a puss. For and so I'm going to be a hardcore artist, and then I'll be an artist, but I'll be a man artist, you know? Oh, Was there a little bit of that tangled up in there? No question. And even bigger, I mean, I remember this, I remember having this notion in like, I, when I'm eight years old, of like, I'm a good boy. People always tell me I'm a good boy, and I didn't want to be a good boy. Yeah. Like, I was drawn <laughs> to burnouts like there'd be a burnout kid in school smokes cigarettes when he's 13 and has dead eyes already and i'd be like wow like i just want to talk to him and befriend them i didn't want them to be my best friend i was smart enough that's what's kept me alive is i was smart enough to not want to be those people Mm -hmm. but i always wanted them in my orbit yeah and i and on my side you wanted to be on the fringes of this and kind of observe it all i loved that i was very good, and I, I seem to be this, you know, to this day, very good at sort of being in the popular group, quote-unquote, but very good at being friends with, like, the burnout who everyone else is scared of and brings knives to school. Like, he liked me and thought I was funny. Yeah, I was. if there was going to be a school shooting at my high school, I was like, I'm getting a call. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting the warning. I can stay home that day. That That's a great way to put it. That's yeah. absolute. I was seeking that out before shootings were going on. Yeah, like, sure. You know, for sure. So, okay, so so kind of getting toward the, the, the fun stuff here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at what point do you start doing bad stuff? Obviously, we, you don't go straight to heroin. Right. What, what do you start doing that's bad, and how do you, how do you Started start? Started root beer schnapps. 
<laughs> For real? No, yeah. I mean, the first time I got drunk, rip your oh, schnapps, okay. sure, mix sure. with rip your, But no, yeah, I'm just joking. But I mean, I. Well, most people start with. That's true. I, st- I, I, like, I would like steal wine from my parents' Carlo yep. Rossi jug and sip in the, you know, whatever. You For know. sure. I mean, I and I don't want to do- like dwell on that. But yeah, I started off like, I mean, I know this. The very first night we went to my to my best friend Branch Schmitz's house and his older sister who was friends with all the hot chicks who were two years older than us mm-hmm. that you know and she wanted us to drink and we were scared. I mean and we were pretty late into it. I was like sixteen, you sure. know, and I hadn't done it yet. And she made us rip beer schnapps mixed with rip beer. Mm-hmm. I got rip roaring drunk and I just like um you know, the whole thing about me wanting to be funny and all that stuff. I could be really funny with my friends, mm. but all of a sudden I got all this rip your schnapps, rip your, and I was fucking hilarious. Yeah. And just being insane with these girls who I'd normally be super intimidated, I, mm. me and Branch just took over the party. We were so funny. And I remember like that night as it's going on, going like, like I'm home. Like this is what I want to do all the time. Now, how much of that is the, there's the comedy part. It's all, cause I think a lot of this is all going to be tangled up with the comedy. It's all tied to comedy. And no then, question. but how much, how much of it do you think you were an addictive person and that you were just going to be addicted? I don't think that. Okay. Um, I think some I, people right. have that and I think some people don't. It's like being right. born gay. Some people have a traumatic experience or a strange, or they choose. Yes. And some people are just like, nope, came out no. this way. I think that I really, I mean, listen, my whole family is a long line of alcoholism. Everyone say, dies he, with a heart attack at 65. I was going to ask you if there was a history in your family. For sure. Okay. For sure. But not my parents. Okay. My parents, like, you know, my dad drinks. He's super fun to drink with my mom. Same thing. But very in control. Very, never even alarming. Now that my dad's retired and successful in Florida, he's knocking a few back on the golf course, maybe, you know, more, whatever. That's his reward. He earned it. Exactly. Absolutely, he did. Exactly, and he's not whatever. But alarming. you weren't exposed to a lot of it. Now no. the gene, also, by the way, you know, it skips generations. It's yeah, not yeah, they say that. I was wondering if that's true. They ask about your uncles and aunts. With yeah, that stuff. Same thing for mental illness. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, put it this way: one of my earliest memories is my dad. We had a neighborhood party thing, and my dad they had a, made a big bonfire in the middle of our street mm-hmm. in this small town. And my dad went out with a five-gallon thing of gas and poured it on the fire that, like, the fire, like, chased the stream back up into the tank and he had to throw it and it blew up in the thing. And I remember just going, like, my dad's fucking crazy. This is awesome. Like, I so admired it. And then now I look back, like, yeah, he was drunk as a skunk fucking throwing a bomb on the fire in front of children. It was ridiculous. It was a different time, you know. Yeah, it was a different time. He was under a lot of pressure. And, uh... And I just, whatever, always drawn to dark attention. Sure. Fair you enough. Know? Fair enough. Yeah. Okay, so 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 there's your first drink. So you, you quit drinking pretty pretty no. consistent after that? Stayed or? drinking. Never smoked pot. Still okay. thought smoking pot was probably bad. Okay. Just because the guys doing it weren't that fun guys right. for the most part. And when you're in high school, you can't really drink every day. I mean, you get it when you can, in it, my right. experience. And I immediately made my persona because I was a Decent athlete. I was good at baseball, mm. average at at everything else, hockey and whatever. And then, you know, I was a good student but not interested, so average. It's kind of like what I wanted to be known for is funny first and foremost. Absolutely. And alcohol helped me do that. Sure. So now I'm the funny party animal? Well, that's just like John Belushi. <laughs> you're basically an athlete taking steroids in your yes. mind. Like. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Yeah, you're just, just these were performance enhancing 
Drugs, no question. And it still is. I mean, I'm, I've been doing comedy for almost nine years, and if I have a beer before I go up, sometimes I'll do a little better. Not, I'm having not, one not, right now, my not friend. Not three, right. but, but one? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I say three's okay. What? Uh, t- two, pull it off. Two is, yeah. Two, two and three is ideal for me, I think. So now you're, right. you're drinking. It's in high school. Are mm-hmm. you doing anything else bad? Are you doing anything else like-, like No. No it, drugs. Partying hard. Drinking too much. But uh, life of the party drinking, not life trouble of the party. Drinking. Exactly. Life yeah. of the party. Um, you know, get my first girlfriend is too cute for me. Um, <laughs> all kinds of like, you know, great stuff happened because of drinking. It was not even, you know, I wasn't it even It still drinking. happens because of drinking. Of, <laughs> yeah. It, it's still like, yeah, that's when me and the wife get to have the most exciting sex. Yeah. So, um it, right, it, like it wasn't even a ton. I didn't affect grades or baseball, yeah. you know, whatever. And then in college is the first time where we went to. Um, I Wait, went to. The, where is this college? St. Thomas University. St. Thomas, okay. I went to a Catholic university mm-hmm. because my best friend Brant Schmitz wanted to go there. So I'm just like, I, I'm going wherever Brant's going. This is your two man comedy team at this point, right? Yes. Oh, no he, question. Your wingmen, your partners, basically, like in your mind. If people saw Brant, they'd ask where I am or sure. vice versa, right? And um, and I did not fit in at the school. I was still very scrawny. You couldn't get girl. All of a sudden, there's 23-year-old guys trying to fuck the chicks I want to fuck. There's 30-year-old and, guys with thir- money. Right. Uh, right. And um, you just immediately, like, especially that was a very cliquish school. They'd all come from St. Thomas Academy or whatever. They knew each other already. Yeah. So me and Brant sort of withdraw even and become – Still decent students. Would it be but, fair to call him your Dylan Claybold slash Eric Harris? I'd like to call. Yeah. I think, <laughs> do you see yourself more as a Claybold or a Harris? Cassidy, but yeah. Okay, do you, you see want... yourself as a Claybold or a Harris? I, I Who's the Claybold be... here? Who's the big dick? You know what? Brant and I were true equals. We really okay. had a. We were the rare 50 50 mm. partnership, I think. A Claybold Claybold situation. Claybold Claybold times two. Um, Sorry, Mrs. Clay. No, no, no. I, I think, uh, you know those two guys who shot up the California bank with the body armor on? Oh, yeah. I think of ourselves more like that. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, except <laughs> instead we sat in our dorm room watching Dr. Katz and drinking Hot 100 and beer all day, like 15 days in a row, I remember. So you're a heavy drinker at this point in college. For a stretch. But I've always okay. been saved with drinking as my body can't take it, especially with age. Sure. So, it, so even drinking... Even though I partied too much, drank too much, blacked out, did ridiculous shit. Which most people do in college, by the way. For I sure. feel like, you know, like I did, and I'm not. For well, sure. I'm probably not gone. You know, <laughs> I would like to think I was a standout in college then because sure. we were very much known for campus nudity and oh, yeah. various things nothing like that. Nothing was funnier than dongs, man. Nothing, people don't nothing get, still is. Male nudity is funny. Right. And the worst part is the older <laughs> I get, the funnier it is. Yeah. My dick is so tiny now. That's why those when guys I'm at the gym do that. I don't even think the old guys are just playing jokes They're, for themselves. Right. For sure. There's. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden I become more, you know, I was a, my reading was even more intense. I started skipping classes and to drink or to to read Hunter S. Thompson in the library. Because now you're thinking this is the real stuff. And the, oh, yeah. I mean, you're like, the man wants me to take this class on history, but I got the real history oh, sure. right here. Which and, you kind of do. I and, love Hunter Thompson. Right, and it is true to say, and I was reading more than that, but I was very, through that period, very influenced with, just more Bukowski, more Henry Miller, more Hunter S. Thompson, to where I even went going, stand-up comedy is a bullshit form of art. 
I really should be a writer. I should be a yeah. novelist. And then I read the Lenny Bruce biography. How to Talk Dirty and Influence People. No, actually, I'm sorry. You're right. That's it. But no, the um, Alfred Schneider, or the, Sh- the Schneider, it's called Ladies and Gentlemen, Lenny Bruce. Yes, it's yes, like yes, a yes. 600 page thing. Yep. And where he's doing heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was profound because. It united these two interests, right? Exactly. It made. Oh, comedy can be important. I had the same face. Art. I had really? The same, I still love Lenny Bruce, by the way. Right. I still defend that he's funny. Yes. He makes me laugh. He makes me laugh. I would never say he doesn't make me laugh. Like, you know, whatever. No, 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 my, no. But I, I get pissed off and go, you you listen to this shit. It's not even funny. I'm like, well, right. if you don't have the imagination to project yourself back in the 50s when a white guy exactly. doing this was mind blowing. Exactly. It's, it's fucking, and there are bits that are fucking brilliant and yep. all kinds of stuff. I mean, I he's love worth, Bruce. it's a worthwhile dive for anybody. Yes. And everyone, you know. He is owed, owed such a debt. It's it's almost sad that he's not known outside of comedy in a way. Yeah. You know? Because the movie sucked. Yep. If Dustin Hoffman would have yes. been shitty and that movie would have been better, everybody would know it. Yep. Absolutely. And um, that put me back on course for comedy. And that really probably nailed it home where I'm like, especially Hunter S. Thompson, really nailed it home where it's like, I got to get my hand on some drugs. And I started kind of... So it's like an active choice, kind of. Yes. Like an intellectual choice as opposed to a... Obviously not peer pressure, but right. as opposed to a kind of gradual slide. I you're was like, seeking it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a Carlos Castaneda-esque journey upon which I will go. No idea who that is, but yes. Oh, I'm. Aldous please. Huxley, Carlos Castaneda were kind of contemporaries. God damn it, you outclass me on my own <laughs> podcast. Uh, I uh, No, it, that's what I always want to get across to people. It was an intellectual choice, without question, that I sold my friends on. And in, 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 a, in a way, oh, that, well, we'll get back to that in a second. You, would you, in a way, were you almost, when you look back on it, do you feel like you were kind of almost a tourist at the beginning? Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I enjoy Poverty tourism, drug tourism. And you feel like you're going to have real experiences mm-hmm. that are going to – you can't write about Gabe from Detroit Lakes who's okay at baseball. But if Gabe has some real experiences, he can really write about God, stuff. God, you're good at this. This is what it is. is I'm, I'm a good boy and I'm trying to shed that. I'm trying to have something – you know, it wasn't so blatant as saying I want to have something to talk about or whatever. But it really was like I want to be interesting and aware. Like I didn't – like a good boy is not – aware of the dark world or uh, like you know i would meet a kid in a, who lives in the trailer park and they just know so much more like they know more about sex they know more about how Undeniable. people act at that age drinking. especially yeah exactly and i i was absolutely wanted to be in the know you know yeah i don't no, know i think I, it's it's not that I, I think i know what you mean because i was similar it's not that you want this direct grist for the mill like i'm gonna do heroin for six months and write a book and then about i'll write it. about that you're like yeah. i'm not having real experiences and i want to have real experiences so i can produce real art and really and a, really live i mean yes. in your mind at, at this age obviously you're you know we're not endorsing the mindset but right right you know when you're you're 20 you don't have a lot of sense of, of consequence absolutely and, and perspective not. And, and stuff and you go like I don't know how else to live a real life. I didn't get that till I was 32 or whatever, yeah. you know? And it, and it really, like, reading Kerouac and, learn, you know, um, experience for the sake of experience. But I really – and I got into this anti-authority thing in a big way. I remember in seventh grade practicing saying, fuck you, God, because I was – grew up Catholic. You still do that bit. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, God. <laughs> yeah, but now for a different reason. Now it's like, ah, I didn't, don't deserve this. Um but it's it, like I remember in seventh grade going, F- fuck you, God. 
and just yeah. you kind of oh, like yeah, brace. Yeah, yeah. Like you're testing like, the what's boundaries. You're waiting Absolutely. to see if you, uh, your dick falls off or something horrible happens. Absolutely. And that was big to me. And to have everything else sort of expanded from that where it's like, you don't have to. Like, drugs aren't bad. That's like a thing. Or, you know, It's a big part of the problem with D.A.R.E. and just saying no is that – you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not breaking any new intellectual ground here, but, you know, people tell you pot's the worst thing in the world and you smoke pot and you realize, I could I could go I could go work my job on this. Exactly. So and let's try ecstasy. Now let's try acid. Let's find out. I don't know. I can't trust any of the reading. And my <laughs> life for a long period became sort of proving that or, like, or constantly, yeah. like, constantly wanting to show this stuff isn't a big deal or you can live, you can live an unconventional life and it... You know, like, whatever, like, fuck all the... It's funny. I'm skipping ahead to a question I was going to ask later, but it applies here. There Were there times when you were doing heroin where you just thought to yourself, God, I look fucking cool? Never look cool. Like, I mean, I never thought of that. And then, you know, in the early, you know... Yeah, yeah. Like like a kid smoking a cigarette in front of a gas station thing. Oh, God, I look cool. If you would have just said, did you ever think, God, I'm cool? Oh, yeah. (laughs) And every day. And, I mean, going to go cop heroin in the fucking ghetto and then you get it and drive like if i felt like i was pulling off a bank robbery every day because it's so wrong committing a crime every a serious one you know uh, and it's dangerous it's you go into a dangerous neighborhood you meet a dangerous guy he's from the mexican mafia he's got tattoos on his face he's scary and then you get it and you're like i got heroin in the car now and then you go pull over and then you get you're, you steal tin foil from the grocery store, like you open a thing and you you rip off a little piece and you s- hunch over and smoke your little black tar heroin off of it and it's just listen to rock and roll and then you get this great, like your first hit, it like it melts your skull inside your head. That's the best way I can put it. The first one are truly, like me and my friend agreed that that's how it feels. Okay, so let's rewind just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, so now you decide you're going to do drugs. Mm-hmm. What do you? Do, you don't start with heroin. Of right? course, no, no. What, and, what, and is, I, what are the drugs, real quick, and what were your experiences? Of course, with on the way to heroin. So as we went, I don't even think pot was second. Maybe it was, but pot hasn't been a consequence <sighs> of my life. Yeah, uh, I've done it off and on and whatever, but not even recently at all. At all, like in years. I, you, I remember meeting you. You were like, I'm not a pot guy. I think, yeah. I, I've and seen I, you turn pot down a I think times. I've smoked it maybe within a year. Like maybe I've smoked yeah. it once, but very little. So um, Coke, I remember hearing someone had – oh, I remember the first time I did Coke. I was – because it was meth. Oh. Yeah. I thought it was, it was Coke. Yes, I thought it was oh, Coke. Gosh, like, so you don't yeah. remember the first time. Oops. And I was, I was bartending – at a bar in San Bernardino called Fiordalisi's Rustic Inn. Okay, so that answers a question real quick. You, so you, you've moved now. You've gone to L.A. So yes. you start the drug trials, Yes, as it were. You start experimenting with drugs after you've dropped out of college? Nope. So Finished? I was still in college. I went to San Bernardino on an economics exchange program. Okay. And m- before this, me and my friend Brant mm-hmm. and Meme um, had decided that we want to do coke. We don't sure. know how to find it, whatever. And this is like maybe six months before I go. So okay. that's how like, yeah. you know, we weren't working hard to find it, but we all agreed if we got an opportunity, we Oh, yeah, everybody keep it. their eye and their ear out. Yes. Get enough for all of us. So I'm in San Bernardino. This bar is controlled by four Hells Angels, basically, who come in there every day. And they drink there and they dictate everything that goes on. So just to give you an idea of the vibe in this place, like dumpy fucking place, like yeah. to where you see those guys. So a big Hell's Angel thing, apparently, 
is that a Hell's Angel does not um, spill their bike. Like you don't like because an, an angel can control their bike, right? Right. So these four guys you drink together every day, five, whatever. One drops his comes into the parking lot too sharp of a turn and does the wobble and then lays it on its side, and the other three guys get up somberly, like oh fuck, and they walk out and they had those chain belts like of what like a bike chain but a motorcycle chain and they kicked them and whipped them with those chains off their belts wow beat the fuck out of them which i just sat watched with my mouth open and then they came back in to drink didn't really talk a lot about it uh that guy left didn't see him for maybe two weeks and then he's back two weeks later drinking with him and you know looks a little but it's a code thing yeah and so that's a vibe of this place they're well known for uppers and all this. And the owner one day called me into the back on a somewhat busy night, and he asked me if I'd ever done coke. My friend Brant Meme had done it in Acapulco the week before, so I had this big like, you know, now I got to really do it. They did it without me, and he pulled away a menu, and there's a little line there, and he's like, "Go ahead, do it." And I, I remember being nervous as hell. Yeah. And I've been in a very little line. I. You know, you don't even know how to put it in your nose. Yeah, it's like people think, it's funny when you see someone try to smoke their first cigarette, people don't into- intuitively know how to smoke a cigarette. Exactly. And there's fear, like, how's it going to feel? Is mm-hmm. it going to burn really bad? You Am I going to sneeze it out like in Woody Allen or something? Absolutely. And did it. It burnt a little more because it was meth, and uh, which I didn't learn until quite a bit later. And um, I just went out and I was like, God, I feel fucking invincible. And this is amazing feeling. And just... Going out and working behind the bar and I'm drinking beer and just, I mean, I loved it. I love when people say, like, like when they say, like, eh, I don't think I'd like it. It's like, you don't have a choice, motherfucker. It, it releases dopamine into your system. Yeah. You, you don't have a chemical choice to like it or not. You might not kind of dig it overall or whatever. Later but on, it, you might say, oh, that was too much or whatever. To, yeah, yeah. Or, or not. It's generally going to be a mental issue that makes you not like it. Yeah, I feel like you can have like a bad time on like people have a bad time on like weed. You know, they're all paranoid oh, yeah. and weird. And I, I've seen people have a bad time, but like I've never seen the person have like a bad time on ecstasy. Like they're right. grinning like idiots. Exactly. It's a drug called ecstasy. That's all it does. Right. It's like likewise. I don't know that I've ever seen someone have a bad time off one line of coke. I've you seen know. me have a bad time talking to somebody who just did a line of coke. Oh, God. But they always seem delighted. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so so now you do the meth. That's the first one. Yep. And then... That, Unknowingly thinking it's coke. Right. And that kind of just started a thing where you start kind of getting it once a week. And, and and that went on for years. Really? You know? Yeah. Or maybe like, yeah, three All years in California? Probably. Or do you no, go back? No, I moved back to Minneapolis now and maybe became a thing where in a sense how I want to be known for alcohol or you know and that's now I'm kind of getting known a little bit for coke and I kind of like the edge I kind of like the darkness I kind of like that some of the hot chicks around are like almost don't like me you know like oh he's a bad guy because I'm like ooh but it's one of those things right that as much as it pushes some people away from you it super attracts some people to you probably but it really was for me more about repelling I think I I liked I was such a good safe boy I loved in a way this is so pathetic but I loved any reputation that was sort of negative that's just how nice and polite I was just a straight rebellion Uh uh-huh yeah yeah. straight up rebellion yeah that's true 
So now you're on the coke, you do the meth. When's the first time? And, so, and, and, and ecstasy and mushrooms and sure. all that stuff. Sure. You so know? pretty much all of it. But you haven't done heroin yet. Right. And but, still not um, alarming necessarily. Party guy. Looking back, it was maybe alarming, but yeah, party guy. Well, plenty two of people do. Some plenty of people do drugs two nights a week until they're twenty-four, and then they kind of stop, and then they have a kid, they get married, they get a serious and job, and they never yeah, do it again. New Year's Eve, yeah, or they something smoke like that. weed four times a year or whatever. Yeah. yeah, that's very common. Yep, absolutely. But uh, so I know you moved to Cali- you, you go to L.A. at one point. Do you do you yep. start doing heroin before L.A. or is do you go to L.A. and start doing heroin? So no, that that was definitely in L.A. And the way that we found it. And you moved to L.A. for comedy, right? Yes. Yes, that right, was the so idea. Right, so you graduate college. Yep. Uh, no. No. I left college early. Okay. Because it becomes pretty clear to me that I'm going like to be Like Doogie Howser, where he's doing so well that he just can't... Sort of, <laughs> except it was more in my head that I was like, I'm definitely going to be famous. Yeah. Once I get there, people will say, this guy has And your dad's quality. pissed, right? Everyone's sort of pissed. Everyone's sort e- of pissed. Everyone's, or at least befuddled, at the very least. Because in their mind, you're still a good boy. And in their mind, I've never really seen him be funny, <laughs> you know, like he because I can only be funny to my friends. Well, yeah, you're not talking about the stuff you like to talk about. In of front course, of your mom. Of of course, I right? My mom, my mom thought I was gay. She told me later on, this like, oh, you know, we thought you were gay for a couple of years. It was okay. But we thought you were gay, and I was like, why? And she's like, well, we never really, you know, saw you with a lot of girls or heard you talking about it. And I was like, yeah, I wasn't reporting back when yeah. it was going well. You weren't talking pussy with your mom. Yeah, I was like, mom, you won't believe <laughs> what happened to me behind the movie theater today right. in the car. Like, no, absolutely. So your parents are still, and parents love to delude. So they're still seeing good boy Gabe. He's at college. He's doing great. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're you drop out. And you're going, and they tell them, I'm, I'm going to make it in stand up, mom and dad. Yes. And, and they're like, they say, no, you're not, Gabe. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, and they've largely been right. And, <laughs> and, um, and then I got there, and I was very, you know, I was kind of into drugs and into drinking. And I, you know, m- my persona was coming into, coming into view, you and know? Do you feel almost this extra pressure to have more persona now that you're trying to make it on this big stage with all these strangers? I I think that was a defense mechanism. It was definitely like you move to L.A. I um, I get there and I moved into there's a place called the Oakwood. Um, it's a kind of famous um, like a ton of actors, performers, whatever go there because you can rent an apartment right in Hollywood, sort of or close to Hollywood, with you know, like like pilot season. The place just fucking sells out, sure. and it's got nice pools and all this shit. A lot of headshots in that place. Oh my god, yeah. And I mean, I met R- Rowdy Roddy Piper there. Oh, Rowdy Roddy Piper there. They and, live. Yep, and he's in the uh, workout room, and oh god, gee, oh god, <laughs> like you know, it was fucking amazing seeing yeah. these people. And you walk around, and I was walking around with a messenger bag and my, you know, I probably had some drugs on me, and there's fucking Denzel Washington staring at me. And he's like smiling at me, looking, and I, you know, he goes, "Hey, man, how you doing?" And it just everything, you know, is yeah. is kind of amazing. And you know, for me, seeing Sunset Boulevard and seeing a Sunset yeah. Boulevard sign and palm trees, and it's all part of my dream in a way. When you people know? who are not from New York and LA don't understand that when you're from where we're from or where most people are from, you never see it represented on screen and you never read about it in books. Right. So it's like this fantasy. Like now you're in, again, the real world. Yeah. You're not in Detroit Lakes. You're right. In the real world. And having real experiences. Yes. And I moved there with no friends, no relatives. Your boys family, don't go with you. You're, you're, nobody. No. 
And I mean, they're all getting real jobs, you know. And um, and I had a friend of a friend who, you know, said I could move in with them in their uh, studio apartment. Four of us in a studio apartment in the Oakwood. And and I mean, you go around and just all the like beautiful women by the pool because there's a bunch of wannabe actresses and yeah. stuff and bands who were on deals from um, Hollywood Records had a whole bunch of people there. It was like a subsidiary of whatever. I like to where there's some band there. You know, you'd meet them and drink and they'd play you a thing where they put a, a microphone in a Ziploc bag and put it in a girl's pussy and started like fucking her with a microphone. And I'm listening to this like, yeah, this is life, man. Like this is just my, <laughs> this is Wednesday. You know, and I'm hearing this. I don't, it was all so romantic yeah. to me. You know what I mean? Kind of all your your visions are kind of coming true, right? You know, you're right. Except, and in my head, I'm a really good comedian or I'm going to be. You know, I wasn't a total As long maniac. as you haven't tried too hard, you're not, not a good comedian. And as long as I'm, <laughs> right. Or you can even back it up to as long as I haven't tried, I haven't At all. failed yet. Right, right, you right. Know? And really what happened is that I became immediately overwhelmed. I was not did not whatever wasn't super friendly with it. they weren't like my friends at home yeah i wasn't i just whatever i recessed into party because that's the one time i feel safe or make a splash with people or whatever is i can get really fucked up and make people laugh and maybe make some crazy stories and, and that'll then, be a big deal. And then can't you, if things go don't go well, you can always tell yourself, well, yeah, that's what happened when Henry Miller would get crazy, you know? Like yeah. People, people can't handle my intensity. And right? always felt like, you know, we're really painting me like a douchebag, and I don't think it's far off. But I, um, I really had this idea that I'm making stories right now. You yeah. know, I was like thinking as a novelist in a way. You're a young, insecure guy. I, I mean, I don't think. That, yeah. I don't. I don't think that part of it. You know, you, you cringe on it now, oh, but God. I think a lot of people look back on similar things. My cringe. idea of hell is that they sit you down in front of a television and make you watch yourself at parties when you're 22. <laughs> like just, oh, that's I awful. can't even imagine. I, I can't. Whatever. And um, I mean, just meeting people a story like, um, you know. The people that I hooked up with, you know, I'd like to think I was very drawn to, uh, well, like, what would you call it? Like, unlikely intellectuals, kind of? Yeah, yeah, or yeah. like, uh, or just people really, you know, one of my first close friends there was this guy named Billy. Um, and he's the one who we actually kind of dove into heroin together with. But I met him right away. He was younger than me, but seemed older, one of those guys. Um, and... He was a guitar player, really into music, and really like knew music well. So we'd really connect. We'd go to Amoeba all the time and pick out records. And it's just like he'd have a story of um, Hillary Duff was at the Oakwood one time, and she was on some monkey bars. She's like 13, and she does some flip over, and her skirt was up, so he saw it right in her vagina or something. <laughs> and that was – it's just every st- – and then a kid comes by – Who's in that some horrible parody movie or something like that? And you not have another a drink something with him. movie, or, yeah. I, it was not another teen movie. That is the one the kid who starred in. And then you meet a kid who starred in a Visa commercial who got one hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars for one thing. It's just, it was constant, just interesting stories that you call home about, and they're just like, who gives a fuck? You like, know this what is I mean? Every day something's happening. Every day. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you get this feeling like I'm gonna just go to par. I'll just kind of be funny at parties maybe and people even know that and, or that'll help That feels more somehow. substantial than what you were doing before even though you're doing way less than what you're doing. Exactly. 
Okay, so now you're in LA. You got your buddy. You're gonna do. You, what's the mm-hmm. first time you buy and do heroin? So, um, it was definitely not deliberate. Um, I think even at that point, even as much as I was into drugs, and at that point, I had tried. I think everything short of crack, heroin, and I've still never done acid. Really? Yeah, which I've done mescaline. I've done, you know, whatever. All that stuff, but never acid. Hmm. Now I feel too old almost. Like it, yeah. Like I missed it. But um, I, you know, I think I at that point would have said I'd try it or something. But generally I still viewed it as heroin. You know, a scary just in name. You know, like that's another step. And um, we were. And what year would this be, by the way? I'm so terrible with years. I'm going to say 2004. Okay. Um, And I have no idea if that's even close to it, but I'll look. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of this stuff was kind of in the Oakwood, and Billy lived in an apartment next door to the property. And so he'd kind of come in and out. Like he was one of those guys who'd come to our apartment, just he'd show up there. Mm -hmm. I didn't know when, whatever. And he showed up one night and he goes, hey, man, I got something weird for us to try. And I was like, oh, what's that? He goes, I went to go buy pot from this guy he always buys pot from. And he goes, and he didn't have any pot, but he said he's got this black tar opium for us to try. Oh. And I go, black tar opium? I've never heard of that. But I've heard of black tar heroin. Are you sure this isn't heroin? And it was kind of scary. Yeah. You know, it was like, it was a scary excitement, but it wasn't just getting it. You know, this was even for me a level that you're like, God, I don't know. And I was like, let's, let's look it up online and see. And we, you know, we Googled it to find a, find a picture and we had it on a little piece of tinfoil, <laughs> let's say like a one inch by one inch square. And the heroin is the size of a, like, um, God, it's a good, ex- like half of a Skittle or okay. something like yeah. that. Right. And. He opens it up, and it's on a one-inch square. We Google it, and there's just the exact – a one-inch square of tinfoil with the exact same size thing, black tar heroin. And we're like, oh, I think that's black tar heroin. We Google how to take it. Right. Because, we, you know, we both knew we didn't want to put a needle in our arms, and we certainly didn't have them. So you, you do. You ultimately will go use needles, right? You ever use needles? Never. Never use needles? Save my life. Guarantee save my life. Wow. Okay. I, I really – Truly believe that I'd be dead had, okay. had, had I had I done that. So I'm very grateful of my needle uh, my needle phobia. Um, so, I so on the West Coast, mm. um, black tar heroin is much more common. So there's China white mm. heroin and black tar. China white kind of looks like sheetrock dust almost. Sure. I, I've seen it look yellowish too, but that's apparently more from China. And usually on the East Coast, they have more of that for whatever reason. And that is a little bit cleaner, easier to synthesize down and shoot in your veins. On the West Coast, most of it, I you know, this is just the stuff we heard on the street. So I sure. don't know if someone at home would learn this. The nature different. of the black market is you the don't na- really know. Of course. <laughs> it, but I know that it came through Mexico because mm-hmm. the Mexican mafia controlled it completely. Mm. And we'll get to that later. But um, so it's a sticky... I mean, what it looks like is sort of like brown sugar. So every now and then you get a dry batch and you break it up or you, like in the mm-hmm. bag. It really would look like brown sugar. Okay. I know that Rolling Stones song. I don't know what it's really, if it's women or heroin or the both. The original title of that song is Black Pussy. Okay. Well, there you go. 
Well, this is a lot like Black Pussy, too. <laughs> and then that is sweet. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and it has such a distinct smell. Um, and it's very sticky. I mean, you get it on your fingers and it's, you know, it's tar. Mm-hmm. And so you. What's the smell? What does it smell like? There's a coffee um, mm. angle to it. Uh, I mean, coffee, brown sugar. It's got a little sweetness okay. to it as well. I think actually that's pretty close. Like Even if you're not into mix. it, the smell of it would be pleasant. Oh, yeah. I think sure. so. Not like and, where weed smells weird until you, people like it. And then it yeah. And, and I mean, if I, if I smelt it now. I'd still probably get goosebumps or something, where because sure. it'd be such a oh. bad sense memory, but your Proust- but you'd like your, it. Your Proustian moment, of course, yes. <laughs> and I, I really like comparing it to Proust. <laughs> I'm doing my best to aggrandize feel, you. Yeah, it's your, it's your you. show, Gabe. It's your show. And uh, not tonight. And <laughs> um, and and I mean, it is. It's a pleasant smell in mm. like right away. I'd say. And so Billy and I are like googling it, and we look up, you know, chasing the dragon, man. See, so you, you put it on tinfoil for any kids at home, and you take a little bit of it. You put it on the tinfoil. Mm-hmm. You make, uh, like we would always take a, a pen cap. So you sure. take like a big pen, you make your tube, and put the lighter underneath it, and that's freebasing right. or Just like chasing crack, the dragon. Right? Just yeah. like doing crack. And you suck in that smoke, and as I said, that first hit, I remember we took the first hit, and you're like, eh, nothing. Like, I don't know. Really? I like, like, I don't even, because we just... Like, I didn't even smoke cigarettes, so I didn't even really know how to inhale. You might not think. have even gotten much of it, potentially. But, exactly. And then the next one, we tried to do big hits. And, I mean, it was, like I said, it's like your skull melts in your head. You can't believe you're still upright. Like, it was just so warm and pleasant and relaxing. I mean, I won't say that I had the I'm home feeling, but I really had the, like, Oh, this is fucking awesome. And I never liked downers. I was always upper, drank because I want to party. Mm-hmm. This is the first thing where it's like me and Billy like walked around the Oakwood and you're just kind of feeling amazing. You get this immediate safety. You're fu- It's like being in a cave at the top of a mountain overlooking a city where all your concerns are and everything. It really, like nothing bad is going to happen to you in that moment. It's impossible. And does it feel like the world has changed outside or have you just changed so much inside that you're perceiving it differently? That's that's what it is. It's not – and that's, I think, a big misconception with it is like, um, you know, you went to work on heroin or you, you know, whatever. It's yeah. like, yeah, you're really – you can be highly functional pretty easily. It, it really isn't until – you it's the addiction where you wake up sick and you need it sure that's what alters you and makes you a shitty person is that you start going i know i'm due at work or i know i'm due to meet friend whatever Mm. i need to go get this and if i show up two hours later everyone's just gonna have to accept that because this is my priority above everything it's not because you're so such a mess or you know it's not even like being drunk yeah you know like you're pretty with it in fact, uh, you know, so we, um, I was working at a, uh, a furniture store mm-hmm. and they had a rug rack. Um, so like the rugs were like pages in a book, right? So really high up. Well, you could go stand at the spine of the book between the wall and I'd stand back there with my tin foil and my hair and I'd smoke wow. whatever. And then one of my, <laughs> so I was at work and then one of my coworkers was like, why is there smoke coming up from the rug rack? 
Because I didn't realize it was still chimneying up above. Because with heroin smoke, you try to inhale all of it. Kind of. Yeah, well, it's, it, yeah, it's not like a cigar. It's like right. this voluminous smoke right, pouring right. off. It's, it's a precious little... little bit of smoke. Yeah, right, right, exactly. It's like an idle. I, I should right. buy just that. I don't know. I have not. Right, smoked, right. Less, less my mother be listening. To this. Mm-hmm. But I'm assuming anything expensive, you know, you're, you know, whatever, you're, you're getting all that that smoke. You're trying to it's get a all microscopic of it. amount. Absolutely, and then you, um, you slant the tin foil so that the so that the tar kind of slides down and leaves a trail because it's. Um, you don't want it to kind of like pull up on itself and encrust itself so you oh. don't get it all. You want to get all of it. Spread it thin. Spread it thin. And, and, and do you think, you say talk about people being functional, How do you think there are many people who are functional heroin addicts? Oh, yeah. Tons. I mean, I've, I've heard that it's way more than one would think. My, my, my real guess yeah. is 75% of them are functional. Really? I think hold jobs, hold whatever, and it is amazing when you start doing it how much a world opens up to you that you become aware of. And and I'm trying to stay on track with this stuff, but um, I guess you had to jump around a little bit. But, I can um, back. We, uh, like, um, I remember one of the main places we would get dope is you got the number for the Mexican mafia, which we can go through that mm-hmm. in a bit, but we'd go to the May- – it's on a street behind the Mayfair Market by the Scientology Hollywood Center mm-hmm. or their Celebrity Center, which is on Franklin in like whatever, kind of North Hollywood area. Not North, I don't I can't remember if that's Hollywood or what. But it's anyway, on a major street. Mayfair you drive Market, right past it. It's huge. Right, Franklin, you yeah. see the big Scientology Celebrity Center. You take a left by the Mayfair Market mm-hmm. and there's this long street with very nice houses. I mean like Fucking, they're probably all million dollar homes. Oh, in California, millions of millions. Right. You know, here they're they're hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand dollar homes. They don't have they don't have less than a million dollar homes in But it's a nice neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But somehow this became the street that the Mexican mafia wants to sell all their heroin on. And they have two guys who drive around in a little blue car Mm -hmm. and they um they whatever you get their phone number by however means you can get it it's very hard to get and then they just you tell them what street you go stand on that corner and they drive up and down that street you know probably 20 streets or whatever but generally they have their route and they're just driving and picking up 20 and 50 dollar bills all day every block constantly and i remember i'd been on it's like a drug mobile like a like an ice cream truck but with heroin Absolutely, that they carry in balloons in their mouths so that they can swallow it if they need to. Sure. And then at the end, when they don't respect you, they spit the balloons right into your hand. Are you serious? Yeah, and you're glad to have it because because you've disgusted them so much, or you've been such a jerk to them. Yeah, and you become such a pest. You become such a bother, and calling them all the time. It's funny because they essentially turn you into that, and then they're like mm -hmm, mad at you about it. One hundred percent. And the real, like, whatever. One of the many diabolical things. Is that whole thing of keeping you strung out or whatever? That that's a very conscious decision on their part because, you know, I remember the first time where you know you start doing it where you're, hey, I'm doing it kind of like I'm drinking mm-hmm. eh, twice a week and hey, it's, this shit isn't bad. See, you know, see, I'm not addicted, right? And then all of a sudden, you look back and it's like, oh, it's been f-. like I I remember, I was at the furniture store that I worked at, and I had some again. I remember going like counting up the days that I've done it in a row. I remember it's been 14 days in a row. I was <laughs> like, huh. But I had read from William S. Burroughs that it usually takes about a month to get hooked on it. So I was like, ah, it's, you know, yeah, I 
you know what I should do? I'm just, I got this stuff. So I'm going to yeah. do this. And then I'll probably take a few days off and then get back to it. Yeah. And I made that decision that day. And Billy shows up at the furniture store and he goes, hey, man, I just got a gram of heroin that, that uh, he got some money from his family somehow. There was like free heroin. So he's like, do you like, let's do it. And I'm like, yeah, well, I got this free heroin. I got to smoke that down. Then I'll take my break. Well, that was four days worth of heroin. And of a lot. At, of her- at that point. Yeah. yeah. And um, we just, and I remember after that, I maybe went, then I was like, oh, you're not aware that you're going to be sick. You know, it's not like you go, oh, if I, if I stop doing this, I'm going to be sick. You now. haven't stopped yet, so you don't know you're going to be sick, right. right? Sure. But there is this, you know, it's, it's a biological craving. It's yeah. your cells calling for it. And it really is, it is extremely subtle in your consciousness of it. Mm-hmm. But it is profoundly powerful in the pull of it. You're not aware that you will call and lie to your parents and do things that you are deeply ashamed of to get it, but you start unconsciously doing those things. You take one step down the path. Yes. Right? It's not one pretty distinct step, even. But yeah, it's sure. not enough to be like, what the fuck, man? What are you doing? So you know? so how many how long does it take from the first time to get to the time where you've done it now for twenty days in a row? I, I mean I would say like at that twenty day, that's really where I started going like, Oh, like there's a really strong desire here. Like this might like, be this just might a be thing a that I do. But then, so I mean do you do you do it for six months of casually? I don't remember that. Oh, so you're saying like just yeah, playing the, around the with very, it? Yeah, from the very first time you did heroin to that stretch. Right, how okay. Long, how much time elapsed between that? Right. Yeah. I, I will say, to my best recollection, I'll say four months. Okay, so you were a casual. Four to six months. You were a casual-ish, functional yep. heroin user. Absolutely. For four and a half-ish yep. months. Yeah, they call it uh, just getting chippy with it. Like just, sure. you know, chipping some off and they always use chippy. But you're making these decisions along the way, I'm sure. We're like, well, I've never really bought it on purpose. Well, uh-huh. I've never I've never bought it at a weird time. I've never blank. I've, but now you're making the, you're, you're taking those steps, right? Put it this way. You are uh, proselytizing. You, you're like meeting people at parties. My best friend's coming to town. And I'm going, I tell you what you got to do. You got to smoke some of this heroin with me. And they're being like... You know, that's what's almost embarrassing is how, in a way, they were sort of concerned, but they'd go along with it because I'm their friend. They'd smoke it, and they'd like it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They would like it. But then they'd kind of go away going like – or what I've learned later Mm. is they'd kind of all be alarmed and saying things a little bit. Like, he's really into this. Like, boy, did he – like, it was fun, but he seems to make a lifestyle of it. Or or even because at that point it wasn't. It was just like – it's like he's more into that than me being here. Yeah, and you need them to be into it. Otherwise, you start to seem weird. But yeah. if everybody else is doing it having fun, then hey, no party together. And, no of course, pressure. you and your buddy Billy are reinforcing this. Like I said, maybe you think if you think if he hadn't shown up with that gram that you would have stopped that day? Um, or, or that I wouldn't have ever done it? I Not that you would never have done. No, I'm saying when he, when you, you've done your, you realize you're on 14 days, and you say, "I'm after I smoke this, I'm done." Oh, and then Billy shows up with the big, the big hunk of it. Do you think you really would have stopped? Do you think at that point you were, you were not? I'm stopped forever, but maybe you would have stopped for a week, or was it all inevitable? I honestly don't know. Sure. I mean, I honestly don't know. I, I, um, I know that I honestly wanted to quit, but I'm guessing that it's sort of 
that I was predisposed to be that sort of person, and yeah. then it was sort of in me, and I because I was pretty into it. So you know what? I'm just gonna say I was gonna get hooked no matter what. Once and you took that first step, once I took those and... steps, and my behavior, the way I was living my life at that point, it was all about underworld. And I was—I mean, I was going home and writing and making notes, and I was very into writing. Were you like writing and, a book and, and writing and, stories at this point? Yep, yep, like writing. More, Making a lot of notes for books, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, writing yeah. a lot of like, Radio oh, here's a two page of, of a chapter, and then oh, I'll skip eight chapters ahead, you know, that kind of shit. Sure. Or jokes, ideas, and all sure. that stuff. Sure. And are you doing comedy at all? Both. So, and then doing comedy, that's a resounding no. I did one set at the comedy store. One set. Wow. To which I snorted a ton of coke, <laughs> smoked heroin. And then got on stage and pretty much locked up in front of three people. Like just, I was garbage. The you know, first time, over... this is the first time you've ever done comedy. No, the second time ever. I did okay. once at Acme before that. Oh, I did Minneapolis. Yeah. And how did that go? Just out of curiosity. Well, it didn't go very well, but it was enough to convince me I should go to L.A. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I don't. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I got a couple laughs, and but I'm sure it was awful. At the, at the time, you, you lose all sense. I mean, yeah. it, doing comedy for the first time, I think, in a way, is like doing a drug for the first time, where it's like so strong that you can't even process what if, just happened. If you're predisposed to that, it's more uh, more hook, whatever, more addictive than heroin by far. Because the way that comedy is, it doesn't even feel that good the first time you do it, but it still feels really good. Oh, <laughs> I remember walking off stage knowing I didn't do that well, but the two or three pops of laugh that mm-hmm. the whole crowd went together it's like that's enough to keep you coming back like i want that again all right guys that was end of part one of my heroin diary um we have part two coming next week i think we're going to do it in three parts so um i have a lot of misery and failure to talk about so It filled a lot of episodes, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Otherwise, we will be back on track and uh, with some regular episodes afterward. I do want to say we're posting a whole bunch of new content to our Facebook page and to our website with, like, outtakes of shows that were really funny but didn't make the show or just little best-of clips, things like that. If, uh, you know, we need as much help as we can get spreading the word, so... If you don't mind grabbing something like that, if you don't want to share a whole episode, um, we appreciate all of it. So thanks so much for listening, and have a great night or day, whatever time this is.